before we start today, we'd like to talk about history podcasting. There's a group of people out there at historypodcasters.com, and it's made up of people like us, people who love history and want to share it with you through the power of podcasting. And in fact, we participated in the first part of a two-part history podcast collage. The theme of this month's collage is, it was a good idea at the time. And for this collage, we talk about the Santa Fe Expedition, which was seemed like a good idea at the time for the Mirabeau Lamar administration back in 1841. Now, if you can't get enough of us at Come and Take It, go to historypodcasters.com, download the collage, and give it a listen. We thank you for your time, and we thank you for supporting us. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. I'll eat just about any meat, but uh, camel, not so much. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends, born and raised in the Lone Star State, share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. And I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. When we think of the great open plains and western deserts of Texas, it's natural to think of cowboys on horses herding cattle and chasing down Indian raiders. It's a little less natural to imagine soldiers manning frontier forts patrolling the arid grasslands and desert terrain with all their gear packed on camels. But in the 1850s, the U.S. Army attempted to introduce the ships of the desert to the Texas frontier. Today we discuss the amazing true story of the Camel Corps in the Lone Star State. But first, what's your favorite Dallas street? Now, purely based on name, I like Growweiler Road and... I think I'm going to use Growweiler to name my uh, Elven Ranger the next time that I play D&D. <laughs> well, if we're going strictly based on names, then I love the John Carpenter Freeway. Well, mine actually doesn't exist anymore. It is the good Latimer Tunnel leading to Deep Ellum, which is now gone, unfortunately, thanks to the dart. Oh, and that makes me sad. Good Latimer is a good name, too. Sounds like a Christmas carol. <laughs> <laughs> good Latimer. <laughs> All right. Now, camels in camels Texas. Camels in Texas. We know that horses were first brought to the Americas by European explorers, and they thrived as both personal transportation and beasts of burden. We also know that horses and mules, while having greater endurance than a man on foot, they still required frequent watering and have difficulty going long distances in desert-type conditions. In the late 1800s, much of the southwestern United States was believed to be made up of large swaths of inhospitable desert. In fact, most of the Great Plains region that's just east of the Rocky Mountains was referred to as the Great American Desert. Of course, the definition of desert was a little looser back then. Uh, the term was used to describe just about any stretch of treeless land that was unfit for farming. So much of what was called desert, in fact, encompassed not only what we would call a desert today, but also a lot of semi-arid grassland. This included large portions of north and west Texas, including the Llano Estacado, or the Staked Plains of the Texas Panhandle. Naturally, with so much of the newest parts of the United States, you know, from the Louisiana Purchase and the Mexican-American War being considered mostly desert, thoughts would turn to considering the use of camels in the American West. Camels, of course, have been used as pack animals in the Middle East and Central Asia for thousands of years, and as cavalry mounts since ancient times. In the 19th century, the Turkish, British, and French militaries all used camels in their desert territories. Now, there's several accounts of how the idea of using camels in the United States came to be, 
But the most credible seemed to be that a member of the Army's Quartermaster Corps, Captain George H. Crossman, began encouraging the Department of War to use camel for transportation in 1843, but he was ignored. In 1847 or 1848, he finally got the attention of Senator Jefferson Davis of Mississippi, who joined in pushing the Army to use camels. Davis had served in Texas and in northern Mexico during the War with Mexico, and he understood the difficulties that faced American cavalry units as they tried to operate in the harsh desert climate. With the American victory, the United States gained territory from Texas all the way to California, and most of this, as we mentioned, is desert territory. Davis realizes that U.S. forces would be operating frequently in territory that most people thought was uninhabitable and was unsuited to horses. In 1853, he was appointed the Secretary of War under President Franklin Pierce, and in 1854, he wrote in his annual report, I again invite attention to the advantages to be anticipated from the use of camels and dromedaries for military and other purposes. On March 3, 1855, as part of the Shield Amendment to that year's appropriation bill, Congress allocated $30,000 to the project, which was to be led by Major Henry Wayne, who was a friend of Captain Crossman's and a fellow camel advocate. That's $30,855, which is about $730,000 today. On June 4, 1855, Marty McFly jumped in a DeLorean and arrived... <laughs> no, no, wait. <laughs> Sorry. On June 4, 1855, Major Wayne was sent on the Navy store ship USS Supply under the command of Lieutenant David Dixon Porter and was dispatched to the Mediterranean Sea in North Africa to procure camels for what became known as the United States Camel Corps. They made stops in Tunisia, Malta, Greece, Turkey, and Egypt, eventually purchasing 33 animals, two Bactrian, which have two humps and are from Central Asia, 29 Dromedary, which is one hump and the most common type of camel that ranges from Iran to Morocco, one Dromedary calf, and one Bugdi, which is a cross between a male Bactrian and a female dromedary. They also hired eight camel drivers, most of whom were citizens of the Ottoman Empire, to aid in handling the new animals. The most famous of these was Haji Ali, later known as Hai Jali. All of this cost about $12,000. Their destination upon returning to the United States was none other than the Queen City of the West, Indianola, Texas. On April 29, 1856, the camels arrived at the port, but unloading had to wait. Bad weather meant the ship couldn't get close enough to shore, and it was too choppy for a shallow draft vessel to make the transfer. As a result, both ships had to travel to the mouth of the Mississippi to offload the camels and bring them back in an appropriate transport. It wasn't until May 14, 1856, before 34 camels were offloaded in Texas. One male camel had died on the trip, but two calves were born and survived. So their $12,000 had already made a net profit of one camel before the experiment had even started. On June 4th, Major Wayne took his caravan westward. They made camp near Victoria, where the animals were shorn, and a Mrs. Mary A. Shirky reportedly spun and knit a pair of camel hair socks for the President of the United States. Mmm, camel hair socks. Sounds comfy. Sounds woolly. comfy, yeah, woolly. <laughs> um, so soon they established Camp Verde on July 8th, 1856, and it was to serve as their base of operations. The Camp Verde is located in Kerr County, which is on the road from San Antonio to El Paso, and this would be where the Camel Corps was centered for the length of their official life. There are several successful experiments were conducted to test the utility of camels in pursuing Indians and carrying burdens across hostile terrain. Wayne reported that the camels were able to be loaded with at least 600 pounds without difficulty. 
and a second shipment of 41 camels arrived on February 10th, 1857. This second procurement completed Major Wayne's mission, and the responsibility of the camels was transferred to Captain Ennis Palmer of Camp Verde, and eventually to Edward F. Beale, who was an explorer and soldier who was also an early proponent of the experiment. Beale led an expedition of 25 camels west to survey a road to Fort Defiance in New Mexico, arriving at the Colorado River on October 17, 1857. Beale reported that camels had gone as much as 36 hours without water, ate the most bitter and unappetizing of plants, and they were impossible to spook or stampede. By most strictly scientific and task-based measures, the camels were a great idea that proved to be worthwhile. In fact, after one expedition to Big Bend, Edward L. Hartz noted, not only the capability, but the superiority of the camel for military purposes in the badly watered sections of country seems to be established. The patience, endurance, and steadiness which characterize the performance of the camels during this March is beyond praise. Several civilian attempts were also made to bring more camels into the country, but they were generally blocked. In 1858, Mrs. M.J. Watson told Galveston Port authorities she had 89 camels aboard her ship and wanted to test them out for transportation purposes. But one port official thought that she was using the smell of the animals as a mask for the odor of a slave ship and denied her attempts to unload. The ship sat in port for two months before she dumped the camels ashore in Galveston, where they wandered around the city and eventually died by either being slaughtered or neglected. A similar fate awaited a shipment to Port Lavaca in 1859. By all reports, the Army's camels were a success. So what happened to them? Where are the stories of camels and their long tradition in the western United States? During the Civil War, Camp Verde was captured, along with 80 camels. Due to the war, the Army had disbanded the Camel Corps and left the animals at Camp Verde. A Texas Ranger company was assigned to the camp and took over care of the animals. Some were used to transport goods from San Antonio to Brownsville, and others transported cotton from Mexico. Several were let loose and somehow found their way to Arkansas and were eventually sold in Iowa. Some were kept in San Antonio, where Rip Ford considered using them to recapture Fort Brown due to drought conditions in the area. They were sent to Guadalupe, but two died and the rest were then sent back to Camp Verde. Union troops reoccupied the camp in 1865 and they found that 66 camels were left. They auctioned them off to uh, Bethel Coopwood, who then sold five of them to the Ringling Brothers Circus and some other circuses in Mexico. When he brought the remaining camels back to the U.S., the government took them back, but then let them loose. There still remain small herds of camels who had been set free or escaped throughout the American West well into the 1900s. The last sighting of a wild camel in Texas was near Douglas, which is east of Tyler, and that was in 1941, nearly a century after the first camels and that's arrived. That's really in Texas. far east. Yeah, that's way far east, <laughs> deep in the woods of, <laughs> deep in the woods of almost Louisiana. Yeah. yeah. Uh, despite all of their good points and successful experiments, the fate of the U.S. Camel Corps was sealed neither by objective testing nor rigorous field trials, but kind of by their personality. They smelled horrible and were hated by their handlers. They were more accustomed to more docile mules. They also terrified the horses and mules who hadn't been raised around camels. Arabian horses are raised around these other animals. All of this made combined operations next to impossible. So you've got men riding horses, and you're trying to pack all your gear on camels, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, you, you can't really do it. it. And if you've ever been around a camel, it, they're pretty, pretty, pretty ornery animals. They spit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the Camel Corps experiment did actually have some interesting effects on the course of Texas and U.S. history as well as that of some other countries. So as the Camel Corps was being disbanded in America and the United States, 
Simultaneously in Canada, the British Columbia Gold Rush was going on, and camels were looked at there as a suitable pack animal for the Canadian Rockies. It at least was inspired by the Camel Corps, and it possibly included some former army camels. Around 30, two humped Bactrian camels, who are more useful for colder climates, were imported into British Columbia to ply the Caribou Road, although they had a great deal less success than Texas camels. They still terrified horses. Uh, were loathed by their handlers. Uh, Apparently their favorite food was clothes off of laundry lines. And um, they were just not suited to the rocky ground. It cut up their feet. And by 1863, the experiment was abandoned and some camels were hunted for meat while others escaped into the wild, where the last feral camel was reported as being seen in the 1930s. Now, culturally, the caribou camels had a great impact uh, on the local culture and a number of local landmarks acquired camel-related names. Oh, uh, there's a lot of camels in Canada. Right. Well, I mean, <laughs> if, if the incongruity of seeing uh, cam- the Camelback Range and Camelback Mountain in British Columbia, that's where it comes from. Also, camels were introduced in Australia in 1860, and this is for similar reasons to the U.S. A lot of Australia is is desert, is desert climate, and they were a lot more successful there. They were used as pack animals well into the 20th century until automobiles really arose. The feral camel population is really large. It's the largest uh, really in the world, and it numbers over 300,000. But the animals today are considered an invasive pest, and they're actually hunted to provide racing camels and camel meat to Arab countries. Mm. Mm, camel meat. I'll eat just about any meat, but uh, camel, not so much. High Jolly stayed in the U.S. after the disbanding of the Camel Corps and moved to Arizona, where he ran a freight business for a while with some camels he had acquired from the Corps. His business failed, and he released most of the camels into the wild, but kept two. He married and changed his name to Philip Tedrow and started a family. He served as a packer and a scout for the Army on and off until the 1890s and became a living legend in the Southwest. Now... According to legend, when he wasn't invited to a German picnic in Los Angeles, he had crashed the party by driving through the picnic in a cart pulled by his two pet camels. He died in 1902, and a monument to him and the Camel Corps was erected in the 1930s at his gravesite. It's a pyramid built from local stones and topped with a copper camel. Right, and High Jolly was also featured in two movies that were made about the Camel Corps. Uh, The Southwest Passage is a B-movie. Uh, mostly about Edward Beale from the 1950s. It was filmed in Cinerama 3D for the time, which is interesting, Um, but it's considered now mostly lost. In the 1970s, a comedy western called Hops. H-A-W-M-P-S. Exclamation point. Exclamation point, yeah. It starred three of my favorite comedic western actors, Denver Pyle, Jack Elam, and Slim Pickens, and most of the reviews I've seen describe it as uh, F Troop with Camels. Hmm. Apparently, you can still see it. They play it every once in a while on Turner Classic. So I'd, hmm. I, if anybody's seen it or know where I could see it, I'd really like to watch have this to keep movie. an eye out for that one. Right. Today, there are memorials to the Camel Corps at the Old Camp Verde Historical Site, and the Texas Camel Corps is a small organization that provides camels to historical reenactors, parades, religious programs, and media, which is dedicated to raising interest and awareness of the history of camels in Texas and the United States. Well, I think this would be a good time in the episode for us to talk a little bit about our personal experiences and, you know, what we really think about camels in Texas. I don't know. It's just weird to to picture camels out there roaming the plains. Right. I I think about the movie uh, Ride the Wild Country, which was a Sam Peckinpah movie from the the 60s. And there's a scene at the beginning where there's a race between a camel and a horse. The camel actually wins. And it's it's one of these kind of anti-revisionist Westerns, but... 
it's it's an it's a juxtaposition, and I think that illustrates this this weird juxtaposition, uh, juxtaposition of the of the camel in the American West. It makes sense on paper. It's a it is a great idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, more than paper, it made sense when they actually tested it. Yeah, they said it camels are like the best animal we have to do this, and the only thing that kept them from being more prevalent is people being stubborn and not liking them. Well, I think I've learned everything that I need to know about camels from. The Mummy, <laughs> Spies Like Us, <laughs> and um, Hidalgo. Right. <laughs> but this is an interesting story to me because as many things have reflected as we've looked at this time period, good decisions do not abound. Like good scientific data of something that's effective and helpful and a good idea aren't always embraced when we look at this time period in history. No, not at all. Uh, and the other thing is, is it's they are yet another odd, strange immigrant group to come in through Indianola yeah. and to come into Texas. like <laughs> Those camel immigrants. Yeah, the camel immigrants is like... But the incongruity of a camel walking around in Douglas, Texas in 1940. With Douglas, I've, the prevailing image in my mind coming out of this is trying to imagine those poor camels, 80 camels wandering around Galveston Island. Right, yeah. You know, what are they going to do? Where are they going to go? Yeah. Well, it's funny too, it's like 1941, so it's like the newsreel's like, if Wild Camel was spotted near Douglas, <laughs> Texas today. Take that, Mr. Hitler. <laughs> yeah. Oh. It's just it's just funny. It's it's an oddity of Texas and it's it's a delightful oddity of Texas. Yeah. So uh, that's that's really why we 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 embrace these these strange things. Well, I wish more people did know more about I this. wonder if uh Creed Taylor ever passed through Camp Verde. I'm sure he saw a camel. I'm sure a camel wandered off into his property or something. Well, we should all thank Jefferson Davis for making our Christmas pageants so much more, so much richer <laughs> in the modern times. Okay. Why is there a cowboy on your camel? Yeah. It's historically accurate. <laughs> that wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. Be sure to indicate whether it's okay for us to mention you on the show. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. And I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. If you like the show, tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. <laughs>